0: And welcome to Decoding Cannabis, the podcast that deals with how marijuana works. Uh, I'm your host, Erez Batat, from Spokane, Washington, and today I have a treat for you. I have John with me from Israel. Hello, John.
1: How are you doing, Erez?
0: I'm doing really well. Are we going to speak with Israeli accents? Should we do it?
1: Absolutely, you you know, I come from uh, Israel and I, uh, I love... Uh, Cannabis and uh, everything that uh, comes with it.
0: That's going to be torture for our listeners, right? (laughs)
1: Oh, let's let's yeah, let's go for our natural, natural natural-born American accent.
0: Well, your natural-born American accent, my my natural-born accent, my natural-born language is Hebrew, but uh, I'm faking it. Your accent is
1: fantastic.
0: Well, thank you. I I owe that to my mom. You know, my mom when I was a kid, she said, um, "Fail in history, fail in math." But do not fail in English, it will open doors. And here I am, 23 years living in the United States, and I'm, you know, I'm grateful for her. So, so I want to tell the listeners, John, um, John suffers from PTSD for various reasons he's going to tell us about. And he's using cannabis to help him with this mental unease. And, um, What we're going to learn today is a little bit about his situation and through his situation we're going to learn about the situation of cannabis in Israel. Uh, As most of the listeners probably know Israel is um, uh, has legal uh, medical marijuana but uh, does not allow um, recreational use of marijuana and in fact there is quite uh, of a strict enforcement of that and uh, John is actually an alias that we're using um, to protect, um, his identity. So John, um, I'm going to say it again. Welcome to Decoding Cannabis. I'm really happy to have you on. And, uh, how are you?
1: I'm doing quite okay. It's been a long work week, even though it's only Wednesday, but, uh, I'm glad it's almost over.
0: Well, um, you were in your late twenties, early thirties.
1: Yeah, exactly. I am 28.
0: So you're a millennial.
1: Ah, uh, I'm just on the cusp, unfortunately.
0: What do you mean, just on the cusp? You're 28. You're not just on the cusp. I'm. Uh, I'm 44. I'm Gen X. Isn't. Uh, what's on the cusp? I think by. Th- I, thought, I
1: thought. I thought 89 was the cutoff for a generation for uh, millennials. Maybe I'm wrong.
0: Mm, uh, we're gonna have to check that and go back to our listeners. So, um, why don't we start, John, with with your PTSD experience, uh, tell us about the traumatic events that have led to you having this mental unease.
1: Sure, um, so I was born and raised in the East Coast of the US. Um, I had issues with social skills very early on in addition to very severe ADHD, um, and it led to a great difficulty connecting with my peers. Um, a group of my peers who I was with from a very early age um, and I grew up around until the middle of high school uh, took it upon themselves to bully, assault, uh, beat, and torture me. Uh, I was shoved in lockers uh, and locked there for a very long period of time. Uh, I mean, you name it, and the cliche is probably, it was probably done. Um, and that went on until I was 16. Um, and the, and I basically ran away from, uh, that to a different high school and, and then eventually from the U S altogether to Israel to start fresh and get away from any essence of what had happened.
0: Mm, Intense. So all the things that I've, that I saw in, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. We, we, we share that in common. I was bullied as a kid as well. Um, but I, that was in Israel. So just for you to know, there's no way to run if you're, if you're a geek. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, the, it's the geek true. are meek, but hey, we'll inherit the earth, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. We're going to run the world.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, do you do? yeah right. Exactly. Yes, it's, it's all computers, sure. right? Um. So, so then you came back, you came to Israel. Um, yeah. And um, you, you were in the beginning in a kibbutz. A kibbutz is a um sort of like a little social community of people who work together towards a common uh, financial and um community-based goal. Uh, for those who don't know what a kibbutz is, it's actually a very one of the only uh, truly successful models of uh mini com- communism, shall we say? It's a bad word, uh but it's a kind of a social democracy uh in 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 works and uh, there's pockets of that in Israel and um, sort of like, uh, what would be the equivalent in the US?
1: Well, I know there was there was some sort of like religious community of some guru. I, I remember it was going on in the 70s or 80s or something. It was really, really popular. And there was, I think they are even making a movie about it. Um, but it would be something like that. It's basically the whole idea concept is it came from a lot of the Soviet, uh, Russian and Ukrainian and Eastern European Jewry that fled the pogroms and the Holocaust and got to Israel. And they came with some of the socialism and communist idealism. And so some people wanted to build cities and others wanted to build agricultural settlements. And so that is how these communities, these kibbutz, uh, kibbutzim, as we called it in Hebrew, uh, came to be.
0: But, uh, you know, just for the listeners, because now we've mentioned not only uh, communism, the dirty word, uh, but we also mentioned, uh, you know, hinted towards uh, some kind of religious cultish communities. Kibbutz is very different. Uh, everybody makes the decisions together. There's no uh, one ruler. Um, and uh, it's actually I, I think the only successful model that I know of uh, of a social community at work.
1: I think it, it's honestly, I've lived here in Israel for now basically a decade, and I can tell you that I my dream is to go back to the kibbutz, because mm. there's no place in Israel where I felt more at home.
0: Oh, beautiful. So, okay. So we have that, and uh, eventually you went to the army, and that also um, you were a combat co- combat soldier um, a period of the time, and that also contributed to your PTSD experience, right?
1: Yeah. Um, so I served in the combat engineering corps. Um, I uh, for a period of time before a uh, severe injury, uh, after which I draft I drafted a re. Um, was brought into the Special Forces for the Special Operations Engineering Unit called Yalom or Diamond. Um, And they're in charge of all of the mines, uh, all of the different explosives that are thrown over um, and can endanger civilians or soldiers, um, all the tunnels. Um, And through the course of that service, um, I took part in the last two operations in Gaza, uh, which were Protective Edge and Cloud Pillar. Um, during which uh, I, there were many experiences where I was extremely close to explosions mm. of rockets. Um, I was clo- I, You dealt with the screams of people losing loved ones all day, every day for, for over a month, um, and, and you still hear it. And to this day, I can't see fireworks. Mm. Um, uh, it'll it trigger... It's one of the few things that can really actually trigger uh, a, a memory.
0: An anxiety honestly. attack, yeah
1: in uh, so, no, I can have anyway, but the actual triggering of like a of a, a reverie of sorts or rec- like a a recollection, like I go back to that place
0: in your mind's eye. Happens.
1: Yeah. Um like I, I don't even remember. Um uh not shock. I don't even know how they call it in English. Yeah Krav.
0: Helem Krav, Helem Krav. What would that be in like, English? Um, yeah, like uh
1: it basically the, You basically, like, when I see fireworks, there are certain fireworks that look like uh, the Iron Dome and the effects that go off when the Iron Dome intercepts a rocket. Mm -hmm. And that triggers my recollection of these memories. Um, I was at a July 4th celebration after uh, Protective Edge. Um, And uh, I was with my father and uh, my girlfriend at the time. Um, And... There were fireworks, and I didn't expect it, but uh, I, I blacked out, um, and I, I only woke up an hour later. I only remember, and I was about 10 miles away. Um, and it hasn't happened since, but the the fireworks are still. Alive. So here you are,
0: you're out of the army, um, you have PTSD. Yep. Um, tell me about your relationship to cannabis. When was the first time you smoked cannabis?
1: sure um so i was a a very i wasn't sheltered but i did not partake i was never at any parties or i didn't hang out with any people who did drugs i think i took a puff of a cigarette once uh in high school and nearly died um my first experience was when i was 19. my 19th birthday my roommates in israel uh brought me some hashish um and I was completely gone. I was super paranoid. I was sure the cops were coming at any moment. Um, and it was a very intense experience. I can't say it was great, but I can say I definitely felt it. Like I know some people don't feel it the first time. Nope, uh, I definitely, I, I felt mm-hmm. the effects of the cannabis.
0: <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. You're saying you were, you did not uh, use, um, enjoy cannabis as a, as a teenager. Um, no, I,
1: I had pills shut down my
0: throat. Multiple pills. <laughs> um, that makes two of us, by the way. I I used um, I enjoyed marijuana for the first time when I was 35 years old. And wow. uh, me too. I was also bullied as a kid, so a lot of a, a lot of things in common here. You know, no wonder the uh, uh, no wonder we were bullied, right? <laughs> yeah. They <laughs> so, got smart people. Yeah. They got it out for us. Okay, so. So you you tried hashish for the first time when you were nineteen, and um, and after that was it like oh yeah I want to try it again? I mean, you, it sounds like it was. Oh, apparent. Yeah. I, I, uh, smoked,
1: right? I smoked. I smoked. We only smoked hash um, because weed at that point was just not very. It wasn't widely available ten years ago. I mean, you could get it if you were an Israeli, but it, like the the the, the way the, the ways that we have to acquire cannabis today were not existing back. Of course. So the only thing we could get was hashish and most likely it was acquired from some ill-gotten place.
0: Yeah, Now and it was probably one of those it was like brown and disgusting or was
1: Oh it was terrific. It... I mean it was I mean it was sticky, but it was brown and, and, and it was not it was not good. Yeah. And we used to I mean we used to it was it was pretty bad. We used to uh, heat up knives on the stove. We would superheat the tips of the knives and we would roll the hash into little balls. And we cut off the half of a coke can, a coke bottle,
0: because
1: uh-huh. here in Israel we have like liter bottles, and so we would just we would have a friend press the knives together with a ball of hash and just rip a gravity bomb. and uh, we would get couch locked for like six to eight hours.
0: Wow, intense.
1: Yeah, definitely yeah. intense. It was it was.
0: Uh, that would be something to to film and show on YouTube. Oh well.
1: Um, yeah. Uh, I can definitely show you.
0: <laughs> that would be interesting to see how you create a what do you call it a pressure bong, a gravity bong, a gravity bong. Yes.
1: I mean, it's it's. Uh, I think the word is ratchet. It's rat. I think that's what the word is that people, even millennials or generations, use. It's a ratchet bong. Yeah, it's a ratchet ass bong.
0: <laughs> All right, so here you are. You're um. You're in the army. You're out of the army. You have PTSD. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about um. But cannabis. Uh, cannabis. So right now, are you a medical cannabis... Um, uh, how do you call that in Israel? User.
1: Yeah, I'm user? A, do I have, am a medical cannabis patient. Um, yeah, I'm a patient. Yeah, um, I started. My, I was very, very fortunate. Um, I uh, got my license. I only started trying to get my license um, in around uh, April of last year, March of last year.
0: Was it a long and tedious process? or?
1: I have to say, I have I've seen and I'm still seeing so many horror stories of people. We'll get into that later. But I had a very, very easy time. Um, there were documents that people were required to have that I didn't because all of my records were burned because they were in the States. And it was too old. And I hadn't taken antipsychotics or anti, any antidepressants or anything like that in the last year because I had tried all of them and they had some very dangerous and horrendous uh, side effects for me. Um, and I didn't have, uh, I d- and I also don't have 30% disability. In Israel, if you want a cannabis license for post-trauma, you must, it's required by law, you must have 30% disability, either from the army or from the, the uh, uh, me, um,
0: just like a doctor or some kind of a...
1: Yeah, no, the bitiacholomi, it's the uh, like the national uh, insurance. Oh, social, se- yeah. Yeah, it's social security. So the social security commission in Israel has to recognize you as having at least 30% disability and you have to have that for at least two to three years. Only then are you allowed to have a license. So I did not have that. I did not have that. And I did not have that. I was approved in 20 days uh, for oil. And two months after that, um, uh, I applied to switch to flowers and to get more cannabis. um, And I was approved within 10 days. So how are you
0: approved um, I, if by law one has to be 30% disabled?
1: I'm going to be completely honest and say, and I hope that no one at the health ministry ever hears this, but I think I fell through the cracks. Um, also the fact that I have a wide history of the, uh, the, the, I've tried SSNIs and SSRIs and basically every other drug cocktail out there for treating um, these various symptoms that I have. And there's not really much else that they can tell me to take. Like they, they could tell me, well, oh, get me this, get me that but I can't get them what they need. It's not, it's not my fault that they deleted my records. What's, so SSS, I what's
0: SSNI and S, S, oh, what's the other one?
1: So these are drugs that act on certain receptors in the brain. Are, are they um,
0: medical drugs, that, like uh, it, pharmaceutical drugs?
1: They're pharmaceuticals, yes. Okay. Um, they're, they're like duloxetine and fluoxetine and uh, Xanax and uh, Effexor, Clonopin. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. So and, I basically tried them.
0: And how is that?
1: Um, I was a zombie for my entire teenage years.
0: Oh, that's horrible.
1: It was, it was, I was. Hold on, um, hold on. When depression. you're
0: saying teenage years, because teenage years, you were. Oh, you were trying those before you tried marijuana. That was in the yes. states. Okay, yeah, yes. easy on the trigger in the states with pharmaceuticals.
1: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The, it, it's the same here, even easier. Like getting, getting really? like, even if even in medic, even in states in America where the medical cannabis laws are strict guarantee you no one in America can possibly imagine how difficult it is to get a license here. Imagine that in a, imagine a, in a state like New Jersey, imagine 6 million or 8 million people in a state and only 31,000 people are licensed to use it.
0: All right. So here you are in Israel. And so how many years was it before, after the army, you're with uh, PTSD. Um, yeah. w- were the symptoms of, Uh, whatever happened in the army uh, manifested immediately, or did it take some time until they started bubbling?
1: Um, No, actually, for me, it was a very delayed reaction. Um, Partially, um, I didn't really have anyone here in Israel to tell me that I had changed, because my my family was back in the States, and I have no family here in Israel. And when I moved from up north, where I was living on the commune, the kibbutz, and I moved to the center of the country and started working full-time, Um, I was in a place where there was no one, uh, who really knew me. So no one knew me from beforehand and no one knew me after.
0: So you had no objective perspective that something changed in you. Yeah. yeah,
1: I had no way of knowing something had definitely changed because, you know, like Pete, you come back from a long trip and say, Oh, you've changed. And I never really understood it. Um, the actual manifestations of the symptoms, um, that actually affected me. My day to day life happened in January, 2018. Um, it was a mixture of a battle with um, a, a army injury that got worse after volunteering in Houston after the hurricane. Uh, I was there to help people repair their houses after they were destroyed. Um, and in addition to that, I went through a very difficult, intense breakup where I had been with a girl who I had let down all of those walls and those masks that had been protecting me until now in order to finally let someone in. Um, and so when the breakup happened, I didn't have really anything to fall back on. And so I just collapsed.
2: Hmm.
0: So it's been a little over a year where your symptoms have worsened, it sounds like. And, um, and so you, you applied for medical marijuana. And somehow, even though that you were not supposed to get it, um, according I to... I mean, the-
1: I wouldn't go that far. I would say that technically there are things missing. But there are also things that I, I told them that I don't want. I wrote I wrote the the, the committee an impassioned uh, letter, and I told them honestly and truthfully, I don't want handouts. I don't want to, I don't want to be on my couch all day. I want to be functioning. I I was I co-founded a startup. Like I, I was very active and doing, and I didn't want my symptoms to get in the way of me succeeding. Um, and so. It was really important to me to have that.
0: Okay, so so now you're receiving both oil and flowers. How now, often yeah
1: Only flowers. I I, I started with, with oil and then I um I transferred my license to flowers. I'll do a little background on the license in Israel. Um the Ministry of Health, they determine how much cannabis you get um per month. The price up until now has been standard. It's 370 shekels, which works, works out to about $100. And the range of uh, of, uh, of um, Dosage. dosages um, range from 20 grams to 250 grams. Uh, 20 grams, you'll find a lot of people who um, have uh, fibromyalgia uh, or other similar diseases, and some people, they can have much more, and... People who are up to 250, which are rare, they're, they're oncological patients, they're patients who are on death door, people who, like, they, they need to ease the pain. Um, but that still is at a standard price of 370 shekels. So if you can imagine walking out of a dispensary with, like, five or six or seven ounces for a hundred bucks. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, but even it, if you it, get, it,
0: like, you know, even if you get, like, 20 grams, you're still paying, paying the same.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, so for me, I get 40 a month, um, which for the most part is enough for me, I would say I, I I'm going to apply soon for uh, 40 grams.
0: How much is that in ounces?
1: I think that's a, a little bit over uh, an ounce and a third, I think 20 grams, an 28
0: ounce. grams an ounce. Yeah. So, okay. So we're so talking about about an ounce, an a, about an ounce uh, barely an ounce and a half. Yeah. Um, an ounce and a third. Okay. So, and you're saying that's, um, that's a month.
1: That's a month. That's every month, and you can only, they, there's a determined day that you're allowed to go to your provider. They tell, you can ask for a provider, but they basically tell you where you go. They can ignore you. Um, and you go there once a month on a determined day, and you have to pick up everything at one time, and you can't go back and pick up more. So if you're given 40 grams a month, that's 40 grams a month once and no more. Um, so patients aren't responsible for making sure that they divvy it up properly.
0: hmm mm-hmm. Sort of like when I was growing up, I had severe asthma and I had my inhaler and I always got to the last three days of the month and, you know, shaking the inhaler and it's like, oh, how many more puffs do I have? And then you're always like stressed. So what happens? Let's say, you know, you have five days left to the end of your period and uh, with which, you know, you can get, you know, a new batch of 40 grams. And let's say you run out. What happens? How often do you smoke and... What would happen if you, say, stopped smoking now? How fast would your symptoms um, bubble?
1: So, I really talked about my symptoms, but um, my symptoms have manifested primarily in um, insomnia and uh, very extremely vivid dreams and nightmares, um, as well as severe chronic anxiety, panic attacks, uh, depression, um, and, just, and just overall, um, um i would say a muted feeling um i, I my, i'd say the, the best way to describe it is my brain basically jumps without any sort of bell curve from the edges the extremes of the sympathetic and parasympathetic systems where i go from completely like emotionally distant to highly charged panicky completely losing my shit. Um, I don't really have that middle ground, and that's what I'm working on to develop, along with the help with the cannabis and being fit and uh, proper nutrition and and uh, everything and just a psych- psychologist and a lot of other things I'm trying to do for myself.
0: So, uh, going back to that five day question, if you didn't have yeah. cannabis and you have five days left, would that be an issue for you?
1: Um, I would suffer immensely. Um, I wouldn't sleep for five days.
0: Wow. So without cannabis, you can't sleep. No. Mm.
1: Without cannabis, I am incapable of sleeping. The The best I can do is usually about an hour total. And that's split up over like two or three times and I fall asleep for 10, 15 minutes, have a horrendous nightmare, wake up, rinse, repeat. Or I can literally stay awake the entire night. It's, it's maddening. So um, let me ask
0: you something. What's, what is the, um, are, you, are, you, are you, what what kind of, what's the strain that you are receiving? Is it a sativa hybrid or an indica hybrid or what? So
1: the- I have multiple, I have four different strains that I'm using uh, from the company called Tikkun Lam. They also, uh, they are, I think they operate, they're starting to operate in the States and they're in Canada. Med Relief, I think they're called. Um, so I use. What,
0: what are they called? Uh, you got lost. There. Med Relief,
1: I think is their, their American name. Okay. Uh, something like that. Let's see. Um, something LEAF? Me, yeah, Med Relief.
0: Med Relief. Med Relief. Got it.
1: Yeah, Med Relief is they're called. Yeah, Med Relief Corporation. Okay. They're uh, they're they're on the Toronto Stock Exchange.
0: Okay. Man. So uh, so four different strains. Yeah.
1: So the strains. Sorry. Um, so I use in the morning a sativa dominant strain called Alaska. Um, it has. 17 to 18% THC um, and up to around 1.6% CBD. Um, Depending on the person, sometimes it can cause anxiety. I had it in oil form and it caused my anxiety to get much worse, but I find that in the proper dosages, which I weigh out, um, in the proper dosages, it can be really useful to get myself up in the morning because I have severe anxiety in the morning that I think is a uh, side effect of sleeping and the cannabis wearing off during the time of sleeping. And it can cause me to be so anxious that I have to, I'm ill in the bathroom. Um, so that kind of Like nausea, 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 extreme nausea, panic. It's, it's unpleasant. Um, and so the, the sativa dominant uh, really helps with that without causing my anxiety to pick up too much. Um and then from there, I have a sativa dominant, which is a balanced um, CBD, THC hybrid. Um, it's about 9% of each, um, and it's incredible. It's called mango, um, and it's probably one of my favorite strains, um, just because it's really versatile, because you can use it at any time of the day, and because of the balanced nature of the, of the THC and the CBD, if you need to work, or if you, but you need to be balanced and settled in your chair, that'll do it. Um, towards the evening, the end of the afternoon, I have a strain called Oz, which is a sativa dominant, but it's more towards like a 60-40. Um, and that's a bit more heavy. It feel, You feel it more in the body um, and it gets you a little bit more mellowed out, especially after when I work for, I mean, I, for me personally, just working nine to five, it puts me in a uh, space of great stress. Um, and so in order to keep myself going and not uh, Uh, get too overwhelmed, that cannabis helps me uh, get there till the night. And then I have a strain called Erez, which is an indica dominant. uh, It's 80-20. And that's 18 or 90% THC, 1% CBD. And that knocks me out. Um, And with that, I can get between six to eight hours of sleep in the night intense so uh,
0: you're describing a person that is heavily dependent on cannabis in order to function yes and and yet and without it uh, suffers from severe ptsd symptoms um without going into too much uh, revealing details what do you do for a living
1: um so i work um actually this will be really fun um I work on some of the biggest meme sites in the world uh, doing their SEO. Like all of the sites on the internet where you have memes of all sorts. Okay. So I do their SEO work um, as well as some, a little bit of content writing.
0: SEO search engine optimization. Optimization.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to make sure that my sites are on the top of every single search for our keywords.
0: Oh, you're a good person to know.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And in addition, um, I also work as a counselor for new immigrants who just moved to Israel or have just finished the army, um, helping them to readjust And uh, as they're going to school and helping them with their problems. Um, I even have uh, I've dealt with students that have their own issues from the army. Um, and I find that having my own experiences and having worked through it and being at- active in working through it myself having the chance to help someone find their own path without doing it for them, uh, I think is really rewarding um, because I don't want them to go through what I did. I want them to nip it in the bud and treat it where it is now and not get to where I am, where I'm dependent on a medicine or however you want to call it uh, in order to be a functional, happy human being. And that's one of the things is But my struggle, even with the cannabis, is I struggle to feel happy. I struggle to feel positive emotion. It's something I'm fighting on a day-to-day basis.
0: Um, Lots of questions forming in my head, so let's take it one at a time. Um, It sounds like, do you work remotely from home?
1: Um, So, mostly I work remotely. Um, One of my jobs has an office right in the area, and the students I'm responsible for are also in my area. so it actually works out quite well that I'm able to. I don't have to put too much stress on myself to get to my point A or point B of work, um, and I can do good work and be proud of what I'm doing. Um, and, it's, and and considering where I was, where I was just struggling to find a job or just functioning as a human being, um, being able to look at my bank account and know that at least it's zero um, is better than deep debt and uh, the stress of that. Right. Um, so it's 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 been getting this last job has been uh, a really great feeling
0: because so, I can only imagine you know uh, it's not it's not like you can take a bong to work and just like inhale in front of everyone and so no
1: I wish God yeah. no um, so where I work specifically actually um, there are a lot of people who smoke um, none of them are cannabis patients um, but in Israel it is such a socially normative thing at this point. I think the last statistic was 23 or 27% of the entire Israeli society smokes weed. Really? Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, there was an, it just came out recently. There's there's a ton. And And what's even funnier, and most of these people are not aware of this, but the law in Israel states that if you have smoked cannabis, you are not allowed to drive for 21 days. And if you do, you will lose your license, as well as getting a heavy fine and have to take a course, and it is a serious, serious issue because me as a cannabis patient, I can no longer travel to work. I have to take public transportation, and public transportation in Israel is a nightmare. Um, so, right, it, right. so
0: basically what you're saying, I just want to make sure I got that clear. Yeah. Because you're unknown uh, to, to the country, you're a known cannabis, medical cannabis user, yeah. you're not allowed to drive, period, because... Yes,
1: period because the law has not been updated in order to include cannabis patients.
0: And how do you um, feel driving while on marijuana?
1: I don't drive on marijuana.
0: Well, if you um, did, would you feel comfortable driving on marijuana?
1: Um, yes, up to a point. Um, I'm very aware of myself. I'm very, I mean, part of being the PTSD, self-aware, extreme self-awareness. Um, but I take great note of where I am mentally especially on the cannabis um, and I very I, if I was ever in a situation where I did have to drive, um, I would be able to say whether I was able to do so. Um, but I would try to wait um, as long as possible before doing so if I had smoked before.
0: You no, know, it's interesting to me, John, you you're an American citizen and um, you know, you're heavily dependent on cannabis in order to to function. And you could probably, you know, with your set of skills, you can probably find a job in the United States fairly easily, especially on the West Coast. And have you... And and yet you're choosing to live in Israel because, you know, if you move to the United States right now, you could be in one of these states that have legal marijuana. You can buy whatever you need, whenever you need, and you could drive. um, Well, you know, I actually i don't know if you could legally drive but you know a lot of people here smoke and drive they choose to and a lot of people claim actually that driving while under the influence makes them better drivers um, i would agree with that. and I, I would agree that it's true for some i think that um you know me for example um when i'm under the influence i don't feel comfortable driving but I remember i smoked for the first time when i was 35 years old so you know, that altered state is, is, is weird for me still. Right. Yeah. Um, And everybody's different. So, uh, but, 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 and yet you choose to live in Israel. What, and, and yet your family is in the U S and, and, you know, based on my understanding, you, you no longer have a girlfriend. Um, What what keeps you there?
1: No, that was a previous girlfriend. I actually live with my current girlfriend now. (laughs) I'm very fortunate for that. And she's really, She's is Israeli. She is
0: Oh now we know what keeps you in the in Israel, right? <laughs> I'm sure it's not the only she thing.
1: Solved. No, um beyond that, because there have been times um, where I've definitely considered leaving. Um, there have definitely been times where I've struggled with where I was at and wanted to either get a different experience or live in at least live temporarily in a different place to have an experience of having a different culture around me because my entire young adult and soon to be regular adult life has been in Israel uh, from the time that I was a teenager. So my view of the world, especially because I've gone from one thing to the other without taking a long trip or exploring, um, it's, it's been very, there's not been a real time to take a breath and smell the roses.
0: Mm. All right well, I want to close a few branches um, that were left open in my mind, questions that I wanted to ask, which you know this this idea of thinking like a tree, you know, having a trunk of thought, you know our trunk of thought, our trunk of discussion is you know your life and your relationship to marijuana as a PTSD um, um, survivor, I think was the term that you that you wanted to use. Um, you know, and then we have these branches. You know, and I'm taking a side branch now to talk about, um, you know, how we think, how some of us think. You know, as a as a tree of thought, this I uh, this ability to remember which branches are open, which are not open, I do not possess when I'm altered with marijuana. This is one of the reasons why I don't smoke when I when I do podcasts, because it, as an interviewer, it uh, this it, you know prevents me. I know that some people are different, but for me, it prevents me from actually being able to track the conversation and keep, you know, and keep a coherent and uh, articulate, uh, you know, form of speech. But this is me. Um, so, so here's a branch that got left open. You said that you used oil and then you moved to flour. Tell me about the the difference in experience between oil and flour. You know, I'm, I'm can only assume that the onset time is a B is a big piece of the puzzle, but what about the high itself?
1: Yeah. Um, Oil is a very different high. Um, oil in Israel is especially concentrated. It's really, it's a very intense high, um, at least with the company that I was with. Um, and the it, it was very effective. I mean, if I took, uh, I, my dosage was about, like, I needed 13 drops um, per night, which is the equivalent of about three bottles, and I was getting two bottles, or three. Um, so I needed many more because I also needed it for during the day. Um, so all in all, I needed about six and I had three. Um, so I had to ration. And so I wasn't able to truly um, treat myself with the oil. But when I did, um, it, the, especially the oil that I used for nighttime, uh, that was Erez, which is the same strain I used for night as a flower, was very effective. Um, but the sativa oil um, was extremely intense and I felt, even though I could function on it, it jacked up my anxiety to the point that I wasn't functioning. Um, I was really stressed out for no reason. Um, so it was less of a good medical experience and more of a, I have to counteract this somehow.
0: Mm, I understand. Um, okay, so, so that, that's one branch that I wanted to, to kind of close. And what about the onset time and how long it lasted?
1: Yeah, um, so the onset time, it took a bit longer. Um, it would take anywhere from, uh, I would say, 15 to 45 minutes to really set in totally. Um, and it would last between two and five hours, uh, depending on the dosage in the day. Um, whereas with flowers, um, I, uh, usually the effect is, le- is less prominent, um, but I break up the dosage over the course of certain blocks of the day.
0: So that it lasts me until the nighttime. Mm. You know, when I smoke, especially sativa strains, um, yeah. uh, You know, after about two hours, two three hours, the effects starting to wear, wear out, and I usually feel a tremendous uh, lethargy. You know, just kind yeah. of this down of energy because when I when I smoke uh, sativa, my my mind is racing and there's so much cerebral activity that it's happening and you know it's a lot of energy um do you experience the same and how do you deal with the tiredness
1: so my solution for being tired is smoke more weed um or or go to the gym um i find that keeping my i actually one of my favorite things to do and i almost only always do this partly because of the pain relief um, and probably just because of the experience, I always go to out workout high. Um, I find that there's there's a concept of mind-muscle connection and how you feel the muscle at, like physically and you're connected with it as you feel it contract and constrict as you're going through these various motions with your body. And I think that the especially I use sativas specifically for that because I feel like that enhanced activity in the brain allows for that almost on the way that a synesthese is able to combine senses and experience those things in a very enhanced manner, while it's nowhere near that level of of brain activity, I think that the marijuana is capable of enhancing certain activities if you're doing it properly. Like when I, before I go to the gym, I don't want to smoke weed, I'll vape it. So I have a a vaporizer, like a handheld vaporizer that I use in order that I have a specific path that I, I use with it that I determine exactly what temperatures and how long, and how many puffs and everything else. So that's I've, I very much down to the the, like the last T. Um, I design my experience. So
0: what's the difference between vaping and 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 smoking uh, when when it comes to the gym? What would happen if you smoked and went to the gym?
1: So I find that especially with the tar content of the marijuana, um, it it. Kind of gets uh, difficult with breathing. Um, like, I mean, even if there, there is sans carcinogenic uh, effects, it still affects your breathing. Um, so I find that by vaping and basically getting rid of most of those toxins that are uh, released by the burning, by the, whether it's the benzene or whatever else, I find that it allows me to enjoy the workout more and the high more without being sidetracked by hacking coughs and feeling like my lungs are on fire when I'm doing uh, cardio.
0: I understand. Now, I also hear that, uh, that's another branch I wanted to close. I also hear that Tikkun Olam, the company that is uh, providing you with the medical marijuana, I also hear that it's using pesticides uh, for growing. Is that true? And what's your experience? How do you reconcile with that?
1: Here's where I'm glad for anonymity. Um, so I've had some pretty bad experiences with some of the strains in Tikkun Olam. I've also had some absolutely incredible experiences with most of them. Um, I've weeded them out. Um, but when I strayed off of the main strains that are usually available, like the ones that would come in with a few bags, um, I had some really bad experiences. I Right now I have, um, I would say the best way to describe it is fluid in my lungs or just uh crap in my lungs in the bottom of my lungs i I don't have the ability to breathe totally i'll hack up um and that's from a lot of uh, it's not even the pesticides actually uh mold mold that's uh, in the weed um and that's unfortunately not only with tikkun olam that's with many other places the the quality of medical marijuana in israel especially now that exporting marijuana is becoming legal um, has been going steadily down, and the the theory, the running theory of most of the um, medically medical patients, is that the state cares more about the money, and so do the, these providers. So all of the good cannabis is actually going to be shipped overseas to the U.S., to Canada, to the Europe, to the Czech Republic, um, and everywhere in between. And the people who are here are getting stuck with. The ragweed, the dregs, the leaves, and we're paying, and we're about to start paying double the price um, out the nose through it.
0: So, what you said earlier about this flat fee is is changing.
1: Yes, um, the government decided that um, cannabis should no longer be a subsidized because we have socialized medicine uh, or national medicine, a nationalized healthcare. Um, they decided it shouldn't be part of that anymore. So they are now charging it um, by the 10 grams or by the bottle, which in theory sounds understandable. Um, the issue is there are uh, parents with kids who have epilepsy and they need the strongest dosages of medical CBD uh, oil because they're not allowed to. Kids are not allowed to smoke weed in Israel. If they get medical cannabis treatment, it's almost always CBD and it's almost and it's only in a pill form or uh, a liquid. They'll never give them a uh, cannabis to kids. Um, but those bottles, each of them, instead of it being under that 370 that $100 uh, basket, now it costs about $80 per bottle. So you just took $100 per, for 25 bottles and you just made those parents now shell out four or $500 uh, for their kids' medicine which in the States sounds like, okay, such a big deal. We pay more than that for health insurance. In Israel, that's a huge deal because that is a massive amount of money and a huge chunk of a parent's salary. Mm. Um, so it is, it's, it's a death wish to a lot of these families because they can't afford to spend seven, 8,000 shekels a month um, for their kids' treatment. Uh, they're not able to, to support that, and I don't think they should. Mm. Um, but the government sees it as it needs to, that it, even even the medical patients need to be taxed or paid. But the uh, the flip side of it is I, I almost understand it. Um, if you look at what's going on now, uh, alum just told me that I'm no longer going to be able to get cannabis from next month. I have to move providers. And I'm only going to be able to do that when I go and pick up cannabis, which is next month. So I may not have a place to get my cannabis for the next three months, and I have no way of purchasing it. Um So I'm in a pickle, Um, but I'm hoping that, uh, God willing, uh, invoking the spirit here, although that's rare for me, uh, it'll work out. um, Because I'm very uh, worried about the situation.
0: So I'm trying to understand. You're a medical cannabis patient. Yes. You're working through one of the companies. What's the problem? Why why can't you have? access to cannabis for three months?
1: So this is the long and the short of it. Tikkun Olam has a new farm that is under the new um, uh, sanitation and uh, preparation standards called IMC GAP. Um, It's like one of the highest standards I get for medical cannabis. And the government required every single medical cannabis company that wants to be a part of the medical cannabis industry in Israel to receive this certification. It required a great deal of money and time spent and invested into upgrading their farms and their processes and their manufacturing and everything else. Most companies have achieved it. Tikkun Olam just recently did. The problem is um, the Ministry of Health uh, banned over a ton of Tikkun Olam's cannabis um, because it wasn't up to IMC GAP standards. And that was supposed to supply the, the 17,000 um, patients over those four months until the new farm was ready. Mm. When the Ministry of Health banned all of that cannabis, Sikron didn't have the ability to maintain their, their, they couldn't help. They didn't have the amount of cannabis in order to give their patients the cannabis.
0: So what you're so saying is, yeah, new regulation so caused... Of course yeah.
1: it, it's, it's a shitty situation and they should have planned it better and we should have known ahead of time. And they've Excuse my French, but they fucked us. Mm-hmm. However, the Ministry of Defense fucked them also, and there wasn't much of an option. I'm pissed. I'm scared, but there's not too much I can do about it. Um, yeah,
0: it's my understanding that it happens here in the U.S. as well. There's new regulation coming down the pipe every every now and then, and you know, uh, cannabis farms are struggling to to catch up with with everything that's happening and spending a tremendous amount is. of money to yeah to yeah.
1: It's- huge issue because you have these these industry standards that are being built internationally by whatever uh, group decides to make them. And these companies, and so when states tell these companies that they must comply with this and they must comply with that, so they, they put 100000 here, 200000 there. And these farms and these companies are investing so much money in just getting up to these standards that it's impossible to make a profit, let alone even break even. So, then you have this issue of anything that's not a massive mega farm is eventually going to be completely unattain- unsustainable, which I think is also a huge issue that's going on in the US. I think that more than legalization in, in Israel, I think it's far beyond time for the government to start regulating and taxing cannabis nationally. Um, I think that I, I'm, not, I'm not so sure I'm okay with people growing um, yet. Just because that's I would prefer first they allow the adult use and purchase um, without use in public, except for vaping. Um, and then build on it from there, build on to smoking in private, also like obviously like private clubs or in your house or wherever. Um, and also my question, I, I wonder how it works in, in America um, with medical cannabis because you have California, where you can go into a doctor's office and sneeze and you get a medical card. Um, and you have places like New Jersey, which have crazy, crazy processes that are, and the cannabis is insanely expensive beyond even prohibitive. It's, it's just, it's, it's almost sick how much they charge. Um, so I just, I wonder, I think that there needs to be a standardization. And I think that like in Israel, there should be a legalization of cannabis, but there should also be medical cannabis. Like there are people who use cannabis as a, as a treatment and not recreationally. And that needs to have, there needs to be a distinct difference. Just well, like I think it's... You know,
0: help me understand that, that point of view because, you know, sure. here I am, I'm living in a, in Washington state and here it's legal. And I can walk into any store and buy whatever I want. Now I find that people who use cannabis are usually very tuned to their needs and how much they need and exactly which strain just like you were describing about your own experience you're very um you very carefully tuned to your own needs and which strain do you need to smoke when and exactly how if to vape it or to smoke it and so on and so forth why is it that um if the industry is regulated of course and um, you know, but available recreationally, why do we still need medical cannabis? Why can't every person walk into a store if it's legal? And, uh, you know, what's the need for the medical marijuana industry if, if it's legal?
1: So I'll explain that. Um, I think that there is a huge difference between the recreational use of marijuana and marijuana as a medical treatment. Um, I think that medical the the recreational use of marijuana should be completely should be legalized absolutely um, but they're using it towards like purposes it's for, for their own it's not a, it's not a necessity it's not that or opiates or that or antipsychotics it's just this makes my life on some level better more enhanced more enjoyable more free etc for people who are in massive amounts of pain pain, people who can't sleep at night without uh, suffering, and people who have panic attacks at least eight to 10 times a day if they're not medicated. These are people who are most likely struggling in order to make ends meet. They're people who are struggling to keep their lives normative. And so it almost sounds like, like preferential treatment, but in a way it is, because if you're capable of like functioning on your own, and having a regular job and being a lawyer or a police officer or in the military or whatever else—I think I named the three places you can't smoke weed. That's pretty impressive. Um, but you—you have the ability to have a career and a job, and you have an ability to provide for yourself. Where there are people who are on disability, who are getting food stamps or payments from the government, and they can't afford that kind of—they can't afford that kind of uh, burden on themselves. They can't afford four hundred dollars a month in order to get the cannabis. Thing.
0: I understand the philosophical difference. I think I'm asking more about the practical difference. Um, You know, assuming that it's been legalized and one, you know, I mean, uh, hell, I I got, you know, three blocks from my house, there's a cannabis shop. I can walk anywhere pretty much in the state of Washington, buy whatever I want. So beyond the philosophical difference of necessity versus um, versus not, which is subjective, of course. Everybody will tell you that you know, hey, you know, yeah, maybe I can sleep at night, but uh, it's just not the same, whatever, right? But yeah. beyond that philosophical difference, do you, do, you, am I missing something? Is there a practical need for medical marijuana industry in a place where it's legally available? If it's already legally available, I mean, when when I'm comparing, for example, it okay. used to be that. um that uh, medical cannabis used to be in a higher grade than uh, the recreational stuff, but I got to tell you, um, there's no there's no faster beast than capitalism. You walk into a store here in Washington, and the strains are unbelievable. I mean, you you know, I looked at the uh, website for um, Tikkun Olam, you know, this company that provides you with with medical weed, and you it's know, other bad. other companies. Uh, I mean, I'm talking here. I can walk in and just buy a city a beautiful crystallized sativa that is 27% THC, or any type of oil that I need. Why do we need the medical, um, the the medical marijuana from a practical level, not philosophical level, if if that exists?
1: So, I'm going to take back what I said, and I'm going to say this. I think that medical patients should be able to grow cannabis.
0: Mm, okay. I Now I understand what you're saying. You're saying, okay, from a financial I, perspective, I, I yeah. Sort
1: of, yeah, the weed is. Uh,
0: because from um, the product perspective itself, yeah, I really, it's a, very hard yeah. for me to justify, you know.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, so then I would say, so then I, I would, yeah, I would, I would revise that and I would say that. Um, the, the, the medical patients should be able to grow their own product and in that way they were able to access the strains that are most viable for them. They're responsible for all the incurrent costs. They're responsible for buying the seeds. And they're, and they have and they'll have a complete like they're, they're not allowed to sell it. Um, because again, I, if they're using it for medical reasons, then they need to be using it for medical reasons. If you want to sell it, buy it in store and resell it, which, again, sounds ridiculous. But, um, yeah, I I think that medical patients being able to have their own strains and control that for themselves would mitigate the need for medical cannabis industry. Right.
0: And I, I think that, you know, of course, now we're getting back to the philosophical discussion and people who, um, don't necessarily depend on it for um, you know to function. We'll say, hey, you know, why do I need to spend the money? Why can't I grow it? I think there's some states that allow everyone everyone to grow some. And I'm not immersed yeah. in the uh, in all the laws, but um, yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting uh, philosophical discussion. I think that people who need it uh, and can't function with it uh, without it, uh, there's definitely a protective. Um, a protective uh, instinct to somehow segregate those who absolutely need it from those who don't. But I think that this protective uh, sense of protection comes from, um, you know, from this trauma of potentially not having access to it and having this distinction happen between those who absolutely need it and those who are just using it recreationally. Is is sort of uh, uh, in ensuring that even if it's not going to be available recreationally, um, then it's still going to be available for those who who need it um, to function. But the truth is that once it begin, you know, I'm saying this as someone who lives in a in a state where it's legal. Once it becomes widely available, I got to tell you, once that fear goes away, there's there's really it's almost like there's no there's no this need to protect the status of those who truly need it almost dissipates. Do you know what I mean? Um, and, uh, it's tricky. I I totally understand what you're saying. Um, and yet I think that once, once the legality is out of the way, it almost becomes a moot point. Does that, does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. I think you have a really good point. Um, And it's it's it's
0: hard to experience for someone like you, who's, you know, under under the gun all the time to like, oh, will I have my weed. Will I not have my weed? You know, and if I don't, you know, I'm basically a criminal if I try to get it in the black market. But for someone yeah, who my, lives here, it's I, like, whoa. Trust
1: me, my weed. If like, if I if I end up by next the beginning of next month when I go when I'm allowed to go and pick up by the government, um, I don't know if there will be space for me anywhere. I don't know. Yeah. I can't sign up or change until I do that, um, and so I'm basically stuck. And
0: yeah, I understand. If it's I tricky. If I,
1: yeah, if, if I don't get it, then I'll be like, I will be have to find a thousand eleven hundred dollars a month. Yeah, uh, to to pay for it, and I don't have I don't make eleven hundred dollars a month. Period.
0: Yeah, yeah, I understand. Um, I think that um again, this, uh, this, uh, this idea of um, what's the word I'm looking for when some the scarcity, the scarcity around the quantity of uh, marijuana available out there is what's driving us to say, hey, we definitely need to make a distinction between those who absolutely need it and absolutely don't, uh, who don't necessarily super need it. Um, I don't, I mean, I, I I had periods where I had, you know, I had uh, severe anxiety and, uh, but sometimes just a little puff would help and then I'm good to go, right? But I'm, I'm nowhere like you. Um, and so, you know, if we were in a place where there's limited amounts, you know, I would say, hey, you know, it needs to be somehow bound by law that you would be the one to get it and I don't. Um, but that's the beauty with capitalism and that's the beauty, I think, with uh, um, this idea of legalization that then everyone gets that freedom and then what happens you know i i also i just want to name that um as a philosophical thought what i found is that when we're in scarcity mode when we're you know when we absolutely and i know that from my relationship with uh, other drugs like ventolin you know for my asthma right a pharmaceutical drug when we're in scarcity mode we actually use it more why because we get to this point where we're like oh okay you know i i uh, how long do I have? you just start thinking about it all the time. And what happens when it's legal and when it's widely available, you're no longer stressing over it and then you find yourself like, oh, you know what? I actually don't need to use it this afternoon because we are we are um, uh, active um, uh, uh, malleable beings. Things change all the time. We don't necessarily have the same amount of anxiety or symptoms every day, no matter what unease we suffer from. And, you know, having just the availability allows us to just relax about it. And I find that potentially cause us to to, to use less of the substance. And so this is where I think, you know, all the laws and regulations around marijuana are actually creating a situation where uh, things are worse. and and another piece of the puzzle, I'm you know a little passionate about it, so I'm going off a rant here. Um, I specifically know of one person, and I know there's, you know, thousands and maybe tens of tens of thousands who, um because he didn't have access to legal marijuana, he ended up smoking crap, um and it was mixed with something. and he ended up having a psychotic attack. So here we have yet another aspect of this. You know uh, crazy um, you know legal structure that is set up around this substance that we don't really as a collective understand what it does and so we're afraid of it where you know I'm talking about you know as a collective government right of Israel for example and we have all these rules around it and yet it's causing some people this in the case of this particular individual ended up having a schizophrenic attack and now he's on drugs like a, a zombie, just like you were describing before. And so there's a lot of aspects, I think, to the topic of legalization and to the topic of um, regulation that need to be considered. And I usually not. And the funny thing is that most of those who create these these laws and most of those who create these uh, restrictions never smoked a joint in their lives. And so, yeah, that was my wish, rant of the day.
1: I wish they would.
0: Yeah, interesting. So, John, I I really appreciate your your time today. I think we're uh, we're over an hour, so I think uh, I think we're getting to an end. I I'm so grateful to hear your story. I'm so sorry that you're facing a um, you know anxiety related to uh, you know your supply of medical marijuana. I really hope that it will uh it will become better and I also wish for you that you would not be so dependent on it um because that's never fun doesn't matter how great the medication is and how natural it is it's never good to be dependent on something um there were a lot of things I wanted to ask you about your mind the way your mind works um you know you read my article in uh, the cannabis magazine in Israel. So, you know, I'm I'm a metaphysicist specializing in the structure and the mechanism of the mind. And so there's a whole bunch of questions that I usually ask people about how their mind works um, and kind of tie that with the particular strain of marijuana that they're using. In your case, it's four different ones. So that would have been an interesting discussion um, and just would have given you some things to think about. But maybe that deems another discussion and will allow um, us to talk about that some other
1: time. That would be incredible. I would love the opportunity. That would actually uh be something, especially what you were talking about last, um, about how the system has created a situation where our anxiety that is about to end that is about to run out creates a situation where we smoke more instead of less. And I think there's really something to that, and that's something that I definitely in addition to everything else and going into the mind, that's one of the things, that part of my mind, that it really just clicked with me, that I really would like to tweak and work through and try to understand because it's something—it's a very, very strong trigger for me.
2: Yeah.
1: Because smoking, smoking an ounce and a third is, I mean, it's not a small, I mean, I, there are plenty of people who smoke way, way more, I mean, you can see on YouTube, but... I mean, it's not a lot. It's
0: not a little, no. No, and it's, you know, not good for the lungs. And, you know, there's just all these different side effects. And, you know, it's sort of like this chain, you know, you you have to keep on smoking so that you can... Um, so that you can keep on living, and then you have to smoke because of the side of echo, side effects of smoking. <laughs> Just like you said yeah. before, it's like the energy goes down. Oh, you know what are you gonna do? Well, I smoke or go to the gym, smoke right? A more, yeah. Yeah, uh, but I find that, uh, that when we start, you know, usually people who smoke marijuana, usually people who smoke marijuana have that relationship, especially when it comes through um, some kind of a dis-ease or disability. Um, they usually so focused on the physical symptoms and on the, um, you know, just symptoms of unease that we forget to ask how we think and how it impacts our minds. Not our brain, our mind. Not our body, our mind. What happens in our mind's eye when we're smoked? Do we have less or more imagery? What happens to our inner dialogue? Some people, for example, I'll give you an example. Some people are mentally deaf. They don't hear their inner dialogue. My wife is like that. And when she smokes sativa, dominant strain, she starts hearing her inner dialogue. What happens to our motivation? What happens uh, with grandiose thoughts? Why are they becoming grandiose? What happens to our short-term memory? What happens to our long-term memory? What happens to our language? Language shifts when we smoke marijuana. Our language becomes more abstract when we smoke sativa and more concrete when we smoke uh, indica. That's for most people. Why is it for most people and not for everyone? There are answers to these questions, but the problem is in academia, we don't study these questions because uh, most of the studies are not based on actual usage, but rather on how the cannabinoids impact the brain. In order to understand what's happening in the mind, we have to have a direct experience. We have to actually have the experience of mental alteration, so we can ask ourselves, what has changed in our mind? Because we have only access to our own mind. And so this entire idea of starting to think about thinking is changing the way we think when we do that. And doing that on marijuana is very powerful because marijuana changes our perception of time and allows us to think about thinking even if we can't do that on a regular basis. You cannot think about thinking when you have anxiety. You cannot, it's an impossibility. And in fact, the vast majority of people I find from hundreds of interviews that I've conducted cannot think about thinking when they're not altered. Some people can, especially autistics who I call smarties. There's two types of autistics, smarties and wiseies, but um, most people can't and what happens with marijuana, especially sativa dominant strains, time slows down and you're able to think more in any given unit of time and therefore you are able to think about thinking and when we start thinking about thinking we start thinking differently. So just to throw a little bit of a little bit of seeds of thoughts out there. I know you're like me. You're sort of a geek. You're you're a thinker. I can see the uh, uh, the uh, the the crevices in your mind, in your you know, in your forehead. Now that I'm saying all these things, you're like, oh yeah, you're relating them to probably your own experiences. Think about those things. Think about thinking. Uh, read the article I wrote again. See towards the end, there's all these descriptions of what happens in your mind's eye when you're when you're smoking, and and start thinking about that, and you'll see that your entire relationship to marijuana will start changing. And the next time we talk, I'm gonna interview you. I'm gonna ask you about your mind and how you think, and we're gonna we're gonna go from there. Sounds good?
1: That sounds absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I literally can't wait. This was, I mean, just as a basic conversation. I feel not transformative. I wouldn't go like. That grandiose, but it, I, it really opened up my mind in a lot of ways to what I'm experiencing.
0: Mm. You know, uh, there's definitely a lot of um, a lot of uh, uh, a tendency to go towards grandiose thinking when we're smoking marijuana. And I know that you, you know, obviously you're 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 altered, somewhat altered right now um, uh, because that's your life right now. And I've seen you smoke uh, <laughs> while you're in front of me, which is awesome and um and yet i don't feel like you're uh you know like you're um dysfunctional in any way shape or form however i will say this however grandiose you know this sounds i will tell you this when we when we get a glimpse to the structure and mechanism of our own mind once we start understanding how the mind works and what creates thought and what creates our time perception what creates our space perception how memory works It is life-changing. It is as if, um, you know, we look at a a messy picture and the three-dimensional object just pops out. It's like Morpheus's red pill for the mind. We cannot go backwards. Once we understand the structure of the mind, it is just phenomenal. And so I can't wait to share it with you. I can't wait to share it with the listeners. And I can't wait to continue and having these discussions with other people. I thank you, John, for your candid for your honesty, for your willingness to open yourself and share your own experience, even at the uh, uh, you know at the risk of you know talking to a microphone in a country where um, you know you potentially can can have ramifications, and so I just want to salute you for that, no pun intended, uh, um, and and just say thank you, and I wish I wish you all the best.
1: thank you so much for the opportunity and i really i'm really looking forward to our next conversation
0: thank you john and for our listeners thank you for listening to uh, decoding cannabis Um, if you liked it uh, review it on itunes it always helps uh, so that other people can enjoy it and spread the word many good things are coming including public experiments of how the mind works I want to say one, one thing about it and I'm going to say it, uh, try to say it in every episode, trying to understand what marijuana how marijuana impacts the mind by researching the brain is like trying to understand humor by researching our cheek muscles. Some things must be experienced directly. If we're going to wait for academia to wait for legalization,' it's never going to be, it's never going to happen. We have to do it ourselves. There's enough people out there who have legal access to marijuana. And if we're going to come together in order to understand the impact of THC on the mind, only then we can fully and safely legalize it. Because we, we are afraid, as people, we're afraid of what we don't know. And if we're going to show the world exactly what cannabis does, to our perception of time and space. There's not going to be any more reason to um, to shy away from legalizing it. Uh, for those who are interested in reading more and understand uh, what Consciousness Research Institute in Spokane, Washington has done when it comes to marijuana research and understanding how it impacts our perception of time and space, go to that's cri.org.institute. That C-R-I-O-R-G and click on Research and click on How Marijuana Works and you can see Uh, marijuana polarization theory that explains how we're different in our mind and how marijuana impacts everyone differently based on their relative perception of time. And um, yeah, any questions, uh, feel free to contact. For those of you who know people who should be on this podcast, who can talk about marijuana, what it does to the brain, what it does to the mind, and who want to share their personal story, contact as well, and I will uh, contact you back. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, John. Peace and talk soon.